preaching from Philippians chapter 1, uh, verses 3 through 11. So if you would turn with me in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 1. We packed light, so I didn't even bring my Bible, so I had to snag a Bible from the table back here. And the print is so small. <laughs> I hope I can see it. Philippians chapter 1, starting at verse 3. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always, in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. This is God's word. Would you join me in prayer? Our gracious Heavenly Father, we ask that you would open the eyes of our hearts, that we may behold afresh the glories of your Son, Jesus, in your word. Would you transform our hearts by the glimpse of your glory? Without your spirit's presence and help in our midst, these are just words. But by your spirit's help, these are living word of God. So would you speak to us? Let us hear your voice speaking to us. That our hearts may be refreshed and encouraged set on fire by this good news of your son, Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. If I asked you, what is the gospel? Most of you probably will be able to articulate the gospel. It's the good news of Jesus Christ, his life and death and resurrection and eventual return of Jesus. How about if I asked you, how exactly is the gospel transforming you and shaping you right now in your life? How is the gospel shaping your life? Is the gospel actually shaping our priorities? How we spend our time, how we spend our money, and other resources that God, God has given us. Is the gospel actually shaping how we choose our, our career and educational choices, how we think about retirement? 
is the gospel causing us to increasingly hate the remaining sin in our lives? Is it causing us to be willing to deny ourselves and go to hard places to serve the Lord? Is the gospel redirecting our ambitions and aspirations in life? You see, it's possible that we have embraced what one theologian calls a domesticated version of the gospel. It's possible for us to have a nominal adherence to the gospel without that good news affecting our lives very much. Tab, thank you for letting us sing that same song twice. You know, is he what is the word? Are the words up here? Sorry, I'm stealing. I can't find it. He was he was he was playing the song without seeing the seeing the chord charts. That's impressive. The first time I sang the song, it was I think it was one of the first songs. I maybe I was distracted, maybe I wasn't really paying attention to the words, but I was just singing words. But the second time, those truths that you were singing deeply impacted my heart deeply encouraged by those glorious truths of the gospel. You see, if we are honest with ourselves, most of us perhaps can recognize a degree of disconnect between what we know the gospel to be in our heads and how we actually live our lives and how our hearts are actually impacted by the gospel. Disconnected between what we sing about on Sunday and what we do, how we live our lives Monday through Saturday. It seems that it's been increasingly becoming difficult to be openly be Christians in America. I've been following news in America and it seems like it's been, it's getting more and more difficult to be openly Christians in America. People hostile to Christianity. It's never been easy in Japan to be Christians. Right now, there's no overt persecution, overt uh, resistance to the gospel. They're not hostile to us, but it's never been easy to be Christians. We're such a small minority in Japan. Well, the Philippian church was facing a similar situation. The city of Philippi was a Roman city, and it was unpopular to be Christians. There are all kinds of pressures to conform to the pagan way of life in the Roman city. And Paul planted this church in Philippi, and you can read about it in Acts chapter 16. And at this point, the, the point of writing this letter, the church is about 10 years old. And Paul is in, now in prison and probably in Rome. And Philippians sent gifts, financial gifts, to support Paul in his imprisonment and in his ministry in Rome. And so Paul writes a thank you letter, and that's what Philippians is. But Paul's main concern in sending this letter is absolutely the, is the gospel. In chapter 1 itself, the word gospel appears six times. He's concerned about the gospel. He's concerned about the Philippians, their commitment to the gospel. He's, he's appreciative of their commitment to the gospel. So he writes this letter to encourage the believers to keep being faithful to the Lord, keep the gospel of Jesus Christ at the center of their lives. That's what this letter is about. 
He's saying, keep the gospel of Jesus at the center of your life and let the gospel be what animates and shapes your life. So we're going to learn from this passage that a gospel-shaped life will be characterized by at least two things from this passage. One is relationships marked by gospel fellowship, and number two, prayers focused on gospel fruit. So we're going to start with relationships marked by gospel fellowship. So Paul is remembering the Philippian believers from his Roman prison cell hundreds of miles away, but his mind is transported to Philippi, and he's remembering these believers, and his heart is full of joy and thanksgiving for them. Thanksgiving to God for them. He says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy. You hear his heart, don't you? He's filled with joy and thanksgiving toward them. But what's the basis of Paul's joy and thanksgiving? Look at verse 5. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Now, this word partnership is commonly translated in the New Testament as fellowship. And fellowship is a word we, we often use, but we use it in a, in, in a different way today than, than how Paul would have used it or understood it. We use this uh, word fellowship to describe something like Christians doing something together. So if you get together uh, with another believer over a meal or coffee, that's fellowship. We use it in the context. And if you even watch NBA finals or any kind of football, I don't know, San Diego teams, I'm sorry. Um, I'm not really interested. So. But if you, if you watch some kind of sports game together with Christians, we call, call that a fellowship. But fellowship in the first century was commonly used in a commercial setting. And, and if, you, if you start a business with someone and, and you invest your money and time and efforts to, to grow in that business, you have entered into fellowship with someone or partnership. One author defines this word fellowship as self-sacrificing conformity to a shared vision. Self-sacrificing conformity to a shared vision. If you are a the Lord of Rings fan, you remember the Fellowship of the Ring. This, this band of characters that included hobbits and human warriors and an elf and a dwarf and a wizard. Diverse group of people. I guess, I guess they're not people. But <laughs> diverse group of characters. They had a shared vision and shared mission together to destroy the ring, to save Middle-earth from evil forces, and they worked together. Even though they came from various different backgrounds, various different interests, but they came together to share this mission together, and they worked together to accomplish that mission. And this partnership in the gospel that Paul mentions in his letter, this gospel fellowship is the shared vision and a shared commitment to the, the, the advancement of the gospel. Paul's thanksgiving is filled with joy because these believers, he says, from the first day until now, from the moment they embrace the gospel, they have been involved in 
advancing the gospel with Paul. They have prayed for Paul. They have financially supported him. And even in his imprisonment, they sent gifts. They didn't drop Paul, but they remembered Paul. And they sent money to support him in, in his ministry. And this is evidence that, sh- that their shared commitment to the gospel was alive. Paul's joy is also based on God's ongoing work in their lives. Look at verse 6. He says, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Paul is absolutely confident that God's work, the work of God's salvation that he started in their lives, will be brought to completion on that day, on that last day, when at the day of Jesus Christ, he says. But... You might wonder, how can Paul be confident that God will indeed, God has indeed begun a good work in them, and he will continue that work? Verse 7, he says, It is right for me to feel, feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in, in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. The Philippians kept supporting Paul even when he was imprisoned. They shared Paul's suffering for the gospel and the shame of imprisonment. They shared that with Paul by supporting him and his gospel ministry. It was shameful. The fact that Paul was imprisoned and to associate with a known criminal, that was shameful. But they were willing to take on that shame for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of Paul. And they became partakers or partners with Paul of the grace of suffering for the advancement of the gospel. And their willingness to identify with Paul and suffer alongside him in his imprisonment through their prayers and through their financial support, that was a clear indication that the gospel has taken root in their hearts And their faithful partnership in the gospel was evidence that God had indeed started a good work in them. And he says, he will continue that work. He says, for God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. He says in verse 8, he's saying, if my affection for you is just a faint, dim reflection of Jesus' immeasurable affection for you. I am absolutely confident that he will continue to work in you until he comes back to take us to be with him. The Philippian believers were faithfully living out their faith in Christ and their commitment to, to the advancement of the gospel. They were living that out. Paul is thanking God joyfully for their gospel fellowship with him. So let's ask ourselves, for what do we give thanks? What what gives us joy? What brings us joy? Is it our health? Is it our material well-being? Or is it our success as a worker, as a husband, a wife, as a student, a parent? No doubt these these things that we give thanks to God for or or what brings us joy. Know that these things are expressions of God's goodness to us and faithfulness to us and mercy to us so that we should enjoy them and we should give thanks to God. But what the Apostle Paul gives thanks for most often 
in his letters is never things, it's people. What the Apostle Paul gives thanks for most often in his letters is people and God's work in them. In this letter, it's the brothers and sisters in Philippi and their partnership or fellowship in the gospel and their shared commitment to the gospel and the advancement of the gospel. Now, as I was studying this passage and meditating on this passage, as I was preparing this message, I, um, I thought of you often. I really did. And other churches that have stood by us through their prayers and through their support, um, as I remember all, all these years, we've been in Japan for eight years now, and we have never lacked anything. And as I was looking at this passage, and as I was trying to identify with Paul, even though we're not in prison, we're free to go about anywhere in Japan, preach the gospel, share the gospel with people. But I just imagine Paul being filled with thanksgiving and filled with joy because of their partnership in the gospel. I thought of it often. My heart was filled with gratefulness and joy because of your partnership in the gospel with us. And because of your partnership in the gospel with us, there is now a fledgling community of believers in Toyosu. God has started a good work in a handful of believers, the gospel transformation in the lives of a handful of people in our community. The advancement of the gospel in Japan is often slow, and it takes, some, takes years for someone to come to faith in Jesus. But we do see God's work in our community. And a, a few people who have been baptized, they're still walking in faith and growing in their, in their commitment to the gospel, understanding of the gospel, and, and they are being transformed by the gospel little by little, degree by degree. And together we are seeking to share the gospel with more people in our community. And that is happening because of your partnership. Your partnership in the gospel plays a vital part in the work that God is doing in our community. And I hope this brings you, brings you joy and thanksgiving in your heart. What was at the heart of the relationship between Paul and the Philippians was this partnership in the gospel. Their relationship were marked by gospel fellowship. What brings us together is not our shared interest in sports or hobby or political affiliation or personality match. What must hold us together is the gospel, the good news that God has reconciled us to himself in Jesus Christ. Nothing else, nothing else is strong enough or compelling us to keep such a diverse group of individuals, people from many different ethnicities and cultures and personalities. Only the gospel can hold us together. And that means we must continue speaking the gospel to each other and speak the gospel truths to one another and reminding one another of the gospel every time we get together. Not just on Sundays. We've, we've done that today. But not just on Sundays or in small groups, but every day of our lives when we are together, reminding one another of the gospel and when our lives are shaped by the gospel, our relationships with one another will be marked by gospel fellowship. 
a gospel-shaped life is not only characterized by relationships marked by the gospel, but also prayers focused on gospel fruit. Paul had already mentioned in this letter his confidence that God will bring to completion the good work that he started in them. But God's sovereign work, so he trusts in God's sovereignty. God will continue the good work he started in you. But God's sovereignty in, in them, God's sovereign work in them is no excuse for prayerlessness for Paul. As an expression of this partnership with the Philippian church, he prays for them. He prays for God's ongoing work in them to produce fruit in their lives that comes from the gospel. Verse 9, he says, And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more. So he prays for this increasing love. But, but he, doesn't, he doesn't list the object of this love. It could be love for God or love for one another. He probably is praying for both. Their, their love for God may, so he's praying that, their love for God may abound more and more, and so that their love for one another may abound more and more as a result. And this increasing love Paul's, Paul's praying for isn't just this, this warm and fuzzy feelings that, that people often equate with love. But what he's praying for is that their love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, he says. The, the kind of love that he prays for is the love that increases with knowledge. And not just any kind of knowledge that doesn't really make someone more loving, but the knowledge of God. He's praying for increasing insight into who God is and what he has done in Christ so that these believers can discern how they should live in light of that knowledge. And that's confirmed by the next phrase in Paul's prayer. He prays that their love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. Why? Verse 10, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Paul doesn't want the Philippians to just maintain the status quo. Paul doesn't want them to just stay where they are. He wants them to grow. He wants them to be able to increasingly choose not what's just okay or passable, but increasingly choose what is excellent, he says. The countless decisions that we make in our lives are often not black and white. Or choosing between what is obviously right and obviously wrong. There's so much gray areas that requires wisdom and discernment. How do we use our discretionary time and money and other resources? How do we decide that? What do we watch in our downtime? How do we know when to speak about Jesus with a non-Christian friend and when to simply just sit back and listen to their stories? How do we decide between those things? Who do we invest in relationally? These and many other choices are constantly before us in our lives. And what we need in those moments is discernment that comes from increasingly not increasing knowledge of God and abounding love for him and for the, those around us so that we can choose what is excellent. That's what Paul is praying for. And he's praying all of that with a view toward the day of Christ, he says. 
He's saying, one day you'll stand, you're all going to stand before Christ pure and blameless. He's going to bring you there. He's going to continue working in you to make you more and more like him until that day when you finally become just as he is, perfectly pure and blameless. So he's praying, so strive toward that now by choosing what is excellent. That's what Paul is praying for here. And the result that Paul wants to see in the lives of the Philippian believers is in verse 11. He says, all this so that he may be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. To be filled with the fruit of righteousness means that your life is marked by words and actions and thoughts that are right in God's sight. And this is the fruit of righteousness, he says, that comes through Jesus Christ. The imagery here is that of a plant bearing fruit. Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. John chapter 15, verse 5. That's the imagery here. Paul says, your righteous living is the fruit that comes through Jesus by your vital connection. You have to be connected to him. He's not saying just try harder to produce righteous fruit in your lives. He's saying, this comes from Jesus. You have to be connected with him. He says, this fruit of righteousness comes through Jesus, so you keep holding on to Jesus. You keep hold of Jesus because he's holding on to you. You keep looking at Jesus. You keep gazing upon Jesus to see how loving and kind and patient and gracious and faithful and generous he is to you. And when you see him standing in your place on the Christ, dying to save you from eternal death and see the depth of his love for you, that's when your heart is transformed by the gospel. That's when you, your heart is set on fire by Jesus and, and your love for God and others will abound more and more. And that's when you'll be able to discern what is excellent and you start living increasingly more like Jesus. Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through him. So that's what Paul is praying for here. His prayer is focused on the fruit of the gospel in the lives of these believers. And all this, he's praying to the glory and praise of God. As these believers, he's praying for, bear more and more gospel fruit in their lives. He's praying that God may be glorified through them and praise through them. Paul is praying that more and more people may see God's work in them, God's glory, and praise him because of the gospel fruit they see in their lives uh, of these Philippian believers. So his prayers focused on gospel fruit has also a missional focus. He wants other people to see that so that, so that they may glorify God and they may praise God. What Paul is praying for, for these believers, is nothing short of a revival. That's what he's praying for. Many of us pray for so many different things in our lives, I'm sure. But how much do we pray like Paul with this sweeping gospel focus? Oh, how do we, how we need to pray prayers like this for each other and how I desperately, how we in Japan desperately need you 
to pray prayers like prayers like this for for us in Japan and for the people in Toyosu and for the gospel work in Tokyo. Many of you know William Carey. He's considered the father of modern missionary movement. He went to India and preached the gospel for many, many years. He did great work there. Shortly before he left to go to India, he famously said to his friend, Andrew Fuller, I will go down into the pit if you will hold the ropes. One of those holding the ropes back home in England was William Carey's sister, Polly, who was almost completely paralyzed and bedridden for 52 years. Can you imagine being bedridden for 52 years? But Polly, William's sister, faithfully prayed for her brother in the work in India for 52 years, every day for hours. Many of you know William Carey, but not many know Polly, but not in God's eyes. No doubt, I have no doubt that God did great work in India. God used this prayer warrior to accomplish his great work in India. I um, recently received an email from a friend of mine who prays for us regularly, and she never shared the contents of her prayers with us, and she recently did that for the first time. She said, I never share my prayers with the pastors. I, you know, do with my friends. I never share with pastors because I'm so intimidated, and I can sort of understand that, but it was just so encouraging to, to read her prayers for us, and, and she gave me permission to share parts of her prayer. She writes, I pray that Seda and Emma would be fully aware of your steadfast love and faithfulness to them. While Seda is away, I pray that his church would continue to encounter you, for you are still with them, and your plan will be brought to completion. Thank you for calling them to love and serve this community. Help them to hear your plans clearly above all the noise of the world and give them faith and strength to continue even on tough days. May they remember that you know all they need and you promise to provide. In Jesus' name, amen. Now this gal, when I was a pastor in Fairfax, I walked with her for many years. And now she is, she's praying for us faithfully and she shares this wonderful gospel-centered prayer with us. And this, I thought, this is gospel fellowship. This is gospel partnership. This is prayer asking for gospel fruit. Paul's life was shaped by the gospel. His driving passion for the gospel of Jesus Christ resulted in his relationships being marked by the gospel fellowship and his prayers were focused on gospel fruit. So let me ask you, brothers and sisters, what is shaping your life? If it's anything other than Jesus and his gospel, we need to ask ourselves, is it really bringing joy and ultimate fulfillment that we so long for? The last thing we want is for anyone to end up having everything we want. 
and to realize that we have nothing that we truly want in the end. When the gospel becomes the heartbeat of our lives, our relationships will be marked by gospel partnership, and our prayers will be focused on gospel fruit in each other's lives, and we will one day be pure and blameless for the day of Jesus Christ because God is going to do the work that he started, continue his work in us. So let us continue to pray for one another that our love may abound more and more so that we will become more and more like Jesus and others around us may see Christ through us to the glory and praise of God. Let's pray. Oh, Father, thank you for preserving your word for us. We confess that our hearts often are cold and numb to these glorious truths that you have revealed to us in and through your son, Jesus. Oh, Father, would you continue to fill us with your spirit that we may continue to be transformed by what we see in your word, the glories of your son, Jesus. I ask that you would cause our love for you and love for one another to abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that we may choose what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Jesus Christ. That will not happen apart from your work in us. So would you do that? Would you transform us for your glory so that more and more people may come to know a glorious Savior, Jesus? Would you do that for your namesake, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen.